This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Test as much as you can. Do do as many testings as you can. Go for crazy ideas if they're cheap, especially. Do as much as you can on your own with resources that are given to you. Test, 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 test. That's how you'll get learning to the end. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm joined today by Noam Auer, uh, who is... I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Why would I introduce you? Go ahead and uh, and tell us who you are, what you do. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. Um, yes, I'm Noam Auerbach. I'm a, a product and growth uh, a person for the past eight years or so. I'm based in Berlin and... Uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to talk to you guys uh, today about uh, growth marketing, about different tactics, different strategies um, of how to build a sustainable uh, growth and, and, and increase app usage in different ways and forms. All right, let's kick it off. Um, one of the things I think that's inter- interesting about you is you've done a lot of your focus has been on growth, but you've also had a lot of focus on product um, and actually I think uh, you don't necessarily see these things as, as overly separate. Am I right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I where where does growth end and product starts and and vice versa? Who knows? I mean, the idea at the end always is is to bring right to to bring people to use your product to enjoy it. If your product is good, people will come back naturally, and then you can enhance it with different again tactics, different strategies on on how to do that. And um, the best companies I've ever seen. Um, um, have always treated both bro- uh, product and growth as, as partners working together very closely. And that's how they drive the most value as well. And the worst companies I've ever seen uh, it, it were extremely segmented in their thinking and were not able to put it into a coherent, uh, a single space. Because from the user perspective, which is what matters at the end, um, um, these things should not be separated. 100%. I think... Uh... I don't know if you can share, but if you have an example of when this either went really well or really badly, the disconnect between, uh, you know, kind of how you're bringing users in and what happens when they come. Um, I'll give a positive one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think, uh, and uh, a competitor or a big company I've learned for many years, Spotify has done it very, very well. Uh, they, they, they are aggressive in their uh, growth marketing. They are uh, not always uh, the most, um, 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 you know, the most facilitating towards user needs, but they have the user needs in mind. And uh, the way they build the growth funnels is, is it feels to me always very coherent end to end. They, they, they figure out what is your interest and why you came to where you are. Usually it's around a piece of track or a playlist and then able to convert you and move you down the funnel. And I was, I was, I was uh, appreciated and respected a lot of how, how they, they did it um, 
especially when analyzing and look at it during my time at SoundCloud. Awesome. So I think one of the things that's uh, that's complex maybe about creating the right uh, connection between growth and, and product is, of course, your growth comes from different channels, right? So you have the easiest example would be paid versus organic users who are pushed in through an ad that you've set up that maybe you can control a little bit more what that flow is because you've chosen to, to kind of bring them in. And then you have organics where maybe you don't exactly know why they're coming in. So how do you tackle these these two separate groups when it comes to actually creating uh, a long-term flow and a comfortable onboarding? Uh, in one sentence, segmentation, 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 right? Uh, understanding as much as possible the different chunks of traffic that you have. Um, and and uh, if we go a little bit more in depth through it, um, organic users usually have a different context and a different understanding of your platforms. They usually have a little bit more context of what you're uh, doing. They all, it all depends, of course, right? Uh, who you're talking to about which platform, which application. Um, um, I think we'll, we'll get to it in a second, but paid traffic, you need to treat with much more um, um, deliberate intention and, and thought of how to drive positive ROI because it costs money for obvious reasons. And, and uh, the, the, the business case there needs to be strong from day one. While with organic traffic, you can think a little bit more strategically. You can think more about user value, what do users want and need. Pay traffic, you need to be much more on 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 point. It's interesting. I think uh, sometimes I find that developers, because they value organic traffic so much, they tend to put a lot of focus on there. But actually, you have a bigger hurdle with paid because they weren't actively searching you out. Um, so I think you're you're kind of right on the money that we have money on the line that we've spent, and our hurdle is higher because we don't have somebody who's passionately been looking for this product necessarily we we kind of uh you know brought them in um yeah so maybe you have some examples of how you've tested out matching these different funnels how you segment how that process has gone so um, i think that the best the best example i can give right now is uh, from my previous experiences or the more recent experiences at enhanced where i'm the head of growth and product product and growth growth and product um and there, um, we, we, we definitely see that. We see big differences in the behavior and the needs and also in the experience between paid traffic and organic traffic. Um, our approach to it is, to be honest, quite, um, quite aggressive in a sense. For the paid traffic, we build extremely closed funnels where the users are directed, where users get the most support they can get uh, uh, and and we, we try to prolong the moment where they just go and roam around the platform. Yeah, we try to make sure that they reach all the, what we define as necessary uh, 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 milestones, necessary activations before we 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 we, we get to take them out of the funnel. Um, and I would love to talk a little bit more about that if 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 if, if we want. And um, for organic traffic, um, the idea is to is to make the experience as smooth as possible, as intuitive as possible, and yeah, we let we let the users roam free throughout the platform, find out what they want and what they need, and with necessary help where where we can. But there's this famous right, this famous uh, attitude that says if you need to kind of like tell the user what each button does, then your UX is not good enough. If you need to tell them, hey, if you press the share button, you can share it with your friends then you need to rethink your UX and where you put and how you put things, et cetera. 
So um, we try to do as little of that as possible. Yeah, I think uh, I was speaking to uh, Dora from SoundCloud not too long ago. She said that same thing of don't bother your users when they know what they're doing. You know, <laughs> don't get in their way. Just let them do what they want to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, let's uh, let's take it to the paid side uh, and close versus open funnels. I don't think everybody knows necessarily what that means when it comes to onboarding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so close funnels, I mean, first of all, it's not a binary, right? It's not a black and white. Uh, if a user wants to get out of their, your funnel, they'll, they'll find a way. Um, but in general, right, closed funnel is where uh, we construct a UX, we construct uh, an experience for a user, which takes them hand by hand or step by step through what we want them to do. Um, whether it's onboarding and sign up or activation or, or, or to the subscription, again, whatever point in, in, in the, the user journey we are. Um, and give them as little option to get out of it as possible. The less options you have to get out of it, the more closed it is. So if you put it on a meter. Um, an open funnel is exactly the opposite. Is hey, here is the platform. Here is what you can do. Go ahead and do your thing as a user, yeah? Um, and maybe we should talk a little bit based on the type of uh, platform you are, what, what, which direction you should go on. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, I think we talked about the idea for organics, first of all, that there's a little bit more openness, right? That we have, uh, you know, we want them to be able to, to connect with what it is they're looking for. I would imagine there's some limitations within that as well, right? Like not every, every product is created equal. Some have such alternative use cases. I mean, I'll, I'll pick a, maybe an easier example of apps that are marketplaces where you're both a buyer and a seller. So you need some mm -hmm. kind of structure to let somebody know whether they go through the buying funnel or the selling funnel, because it's not one clear action that we know they're trying to take. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you've you've had uh, I think experiences with uh, with a few products. Maybe you can tell a little bit more. What's what's the criteria for something that should be more open versus should be more closed? Yeah. So I would say um, first of all, the question is how how complex your activation looks like. Yeah, the activation of of. Uh, Instagram or SoundCloud or Spotify is probably less complex than the activation of a B2B platform, yeah, or uh, or, or let's say um, a marketplace where where I sell secondhand um, uh, goods as, as a user, yeah. Uh, this requires a, a much higher level of involvement from from the user. Um, so the, the less complex and more known to the user your your platform is. The, the, the easier and more open your funnel can be. I'll give an example, Telegram and Signal, yeah, two, two platforms that are now on the rise because of some users leaving WhatsApp. Um, it's a known context. We all know texting uh, applications. Maybe there, there's one or two features that are a little bit different around sharing friends with friends, et cetera, et cetera. But more or less, we all understand the concept. As a user, you don't come and see something that you've never seen before. You understand it. However, if I if 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 I uh, drive you into your you know if you're a 50 year old and I bring you into Snapchat the first time, mm, I already feel like you know, a 50 year old. I couldn't handle yeah. Snapchat when I first went in. So yeah. Or, or I should say TikTok. That's a, yeah. And like oh, where am I supposed to dance here? Yeah. Then maybe you need a little bit more of an onboarding. Um, and that's maybe I can create a bridge here. When I was working at Yay, which is a shopping a, a shopping app for teenagers. Very snapchat very TikTok, quick videos of users showing up what they're doing. You can imagine teenagers dancing around with uh, Nike sweaters, yeah. <laughs> um, um, we, we, we recognize that our users don't need an explanation of how to put a filter on a video. 
Yeah, there is no point in that. What we put our efforts into in terms of especially paid marketing was in understanding what type of user we, we have in front of us. If it's a user that is really a content generator, which is, let's say, very valuable for us, users that create their content because that activates other users, of course, then we would try to direct them towards a specific onboarding, which is not closed, but maybe more directed. If we see that it's a user that is much more about consuming content, we will try to give them the best content possible through you know, recommend recommendation systems and algorithms, uh, through giving them the quick understanding. There's no need to tell them how to like and how to share and how to put a filter on. They know it. Um, so this is an example, I think, for um, both open onboardings or open funnels, um, but that are a little bit more directed. So I think that's that. I mean, that's really interesting. First of all, obviously, I'd imagine there's a lot of persona work that goes into being able to segment like that and understanding, you know, the ages, the interests, the other groups. How do you identify those users already from the paid side? Is it that you're setting up custom campaigns that are specifically targeting targeting people? Is it behavior-based? How do you kind of, you know, you're not sitting there interviewing everybody who comes into your platform. You can't actually do that <laughs> when they enter, right? How do you, uh, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah, it has to be automated, programmatic, of course. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, different campaigns can come with certain attributes that I already know about the, uh, the user. Give me, give me, give me some context. We built really, really, really great algorithms um, uh, upon the user downloading the app with predicting what are their interests. Um, there is a there is a presentation of me speaking about it online. If you search my name, you'll find it. Um, um, I won't go into too much detail, but we try to predict their interest in fashion based on a bunch of technical um, 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 pieces of data that we had about them, um, like geolocation, languages on the app, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and and as you said yourself, behavior, the first interactions um, on the platform already give you some 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 indicators on what users are interested in, um, and we can take it into different contexts of different platforms and apps. And how do you validate that you've set up the right funnel, you know, per segment? How do you validate that you're actually taking them through the pathway that they should be going down? Do they convert? Do if I have subscription <laughs> model, do do I am I driving more more you know A/B testing? A/B testing is the king here. Don't let don't, don't argue about things that can be tested. Um, longer strategic topic of how do we generate uh, platform? How do you disrupt an industry? These are different conversations that an A/B test will not help help you. When you're talking about different funnels, stay stick to the data, the hardcore data. That's that's the easiest. Yeah, I always inclined to agree. I've seen so many hearts broken over tests of just like, this is everything our brand stands for. This is the most beautiful creative we've ever made in our lives. And everyone hates it and it's terrible. I, it's, uh, I, I get also, I get personally invested when you think you found the masterpiece and it just sucks. So, you know, you've gotta, you gotta be able to have some kind of validation process there. All right, let's move a little bit more into closed funnels because I think those are really interesting. You know, a lot of your maybe your gut feeling would tell you a closed funnel isn't the way to go, right? Because you're limiting a user's ability to, to really engage the way they want. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure, uh, you know, maybe that's a, an initial thought. It seems to be that there are a lot of places where a closed funnel is necessary. Yeah, you, you hit the, the nail right on the head there. You're absolutely right. Uh, the intuition around closed funnels um, uh, is, is let's not do it unless we have to. It's not good. It's not what users want. 
that's 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 theoretical. In my opinion, unless you've proven it with actual data, you're you're you I I will I'll be skeptic about it. Um, um, actual closed funnels give a lot of clarity. They give structure. They give instruction. They give a very clear engagement path that I, as a user, need to go through. Um, as, as 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 growth as marketing as product people, we spend eight, nine, ten hours a day thinking about our platform. Our users don't don't know anything about that. Yeah, so giving them a very specific, concise, straightforward experience many times helps them. And I can say Tourlane that, uh, for instance, I worked at Tourlane where we had enormous amount amount of uh, paid marketing. Uh, yeah, in, enormous budgets in the millions and uh, um, uh, monthly. And uh, and the the closed funnels are those that perform the best. Um, um, it could be that you'll find a segment that doesn't need that, and then you 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 make it a bit more dynamic and and allow the specific type of user to have a different funnel. But closed funnels are are are, are very engaging and simple in a way, and reduce uh, cognitive load if we want to use a design thinking. Yeah, yeah, the whole uh, too many choices, too much Netflix experience. Let's make it super simple. I'm interested. I mean, something you mentioned that that uh, in in passing that I connect to is this idea that an older user, somebody who might benefit much more heavily from a closed funnel, somebody who's not as accustomed to having kind of those uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The technological uh schema frames that they they kind of intuitively know that this is a menu and intuitively know that this is a filter and this is how I use these things um other than than age do you find that there are specific demographic indicators of something that should be somebody who should be going into a more closed funnel hmm, that's a that's a great question let me think about it so we could talk about like you know global trends um um and the difference between different countries um there are differences there that also correlate, by the way, with OSs, types of devices, etc. Um, the well-known fact that you know iOS devices uh, convert more to subscription and purchases, etc. That's that's we know that as well. I think if there is anything spicy, interesting that I can say in terms of demographics uh, uh, that, that we found, maybe something about. Uh, uh, an interesting finding that we had at Tourlane, um, uh, uh, the Tourlane use users are usually uh, a little bit more on the older side, 40, 50, 60 year old people who are planning a big trip abroad. Yeah. And we personalize and build, a, or back then we personally built a trip for them. Um, and what we found that was very interesting uh, was that that uh, uh, females, female users would indicate to us continuously that they want as much information as possible about the upcoming trip throughout the funnel. And the more information, the more context we gave, the more secure they felt and more confident to convert. Um, male uh, uh, users, and it's not, it's not binary, they're of course outliers, but in general, that's what we find. Males wanted, give me the trip and the price as quickly as possible. I want to see the product in front of me so I can assess it myself. And don't bother me with all this information unless I'm asking for it. So that was an interesting find, uh, uh, those demographics, I think. I want to say that we're different, but I think my marriage is exactly the same. Like from trips to food ordering, like I need to know every restaurant that's available, what's on the menu of every restaurant. And my husband's like, no, <laughs> just let me let me order. Let's call it a day. Um, but yes, I wish, I wish we didn't fall into that stereotype, but I could see it. I could... <laughs> It, it is what it is, and it's our role as again product and growth people to to observe it, analyze it, and build what is what our users need and want. 
Um, so uh, let's uh, roam into the hypothetical a little bit here. I mean, part of your ability to create a really powerful post onboarding experience comes to knowing as much as you can about the user, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I cannot count how many times I've said the sentence in the last few months, but iOS 14, the change with IDFA, it's going to inherently shift, not just what happens in iOS, but the industry has to, you know, this is a the mm-hmm. kind of trend that an industry follows. When we start to lose the ability to connect as much of what's bringing a user in, how do we, you know, how, how do we handle that? How do we make sure that we're creating a proper experience for them and, and a valuable experience for them in onboarding when we lose so much of the information that we provide on until now? Yeah, yeah. I think this is going to be an enormous challenge in the coming years. And it's going to be a good time for the data scientists uh, building algorithms per per uh, uh, app and platform. Yeah, you, you, you would have to make uh, abstractions and correlations between, between factors that you do have and you do know and try to extract out of that what type of, of user you have. And, and it's, it's at the end of the day, I don't know if I should say it with too much confidence, but I, it feels to me like it will be solved with, with more advanced data models per platform, per application, rather than shared one. Um, and, and companies will need to to invest in that, or maybe there will be some B two B company that can offer these uh, uh, algorithms separately for each uh, for each uh, uh, platform and help them predict better as the user engages for the first time, as the user just arriving um, on the platform, who they are, what they are, what they're interested in, and there are ways to solve it. There are ways to make assumptions and correlations. But that that'll be my two cents. Basically, make sure you hire a data scientist. That's the number one thing that you can do as a developer right now. Get yourself a good team of data scientists to handle uh, handle what's to come. Yeah, or outsource it. Yeah, I'm not. Uh... You're not picky. Just find yes. the access to a data scientist. I hear you. I think it'll be interesting. There's going to be a lot. I mean, even with data science, so much trial and error. It's going to be so interesting to see you know, who's pulling back and spend during this time, who's just going all in and seeing what they what they can capture. I mean, it's a, it's for sure a gamble. I think there's there's this interesting chance if you're if you have the capital, you're willing to invest yeah. and you can play around, your competition is going to go down. You have a chance to to get such a leg up on the industry. If yeah. you don't have money to gamble and you're not, you know, you're more conservative you you're gonna have a hard time proving ROI for for a good handful of time you know maybe just wait till everybody else spends their money and then pick up uh pick up with what they've learned absolutely and maybe maybe that then uh, to think about something that does, is not just heavy engineering and data for the most for the more business oriented folks um you know being more focused on a specific market on a specific segment of the market on a specific persona could help you in that. First, you know, if you're if you're if you're on the smaller side of things, you're a startup, you've just started, you're in the, your first few years. This kind of focus is maybe will be enhanced by these changes as well. That uh, you build for really a smaller group, and that helps you understand them better and without the information you used to have there before. Um, that's one way of tackling it as well, without some complex algorithms uh, there. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we always talk about the biggest challenge in terms of app store growth. And when you're looking at mobile is you have the one page for everyone, for every user type. It becomes incredibly difficult. You know, what's the, there's some phrase of if you design for everyone, you design for no one. When you try to find yeah. that lowest common denominator, there's definitely something to, uh, 
to that patience, right? Of saying, okay, let me master my, my whales. Let me take the users I know belong here. Let me figure out exactly how to work with them. Then let me figure out the next group and the next group and the next group. But it's a, it's a patience play. If you're trying to, if you're aiming for world domination, it's a, it's a, you got to be willing to wait it out and wait a long time. <laughs> yeah, one segment at a time. The, the, the good thing about it, the methods, the learnings that you will have and get on your zero to one will serve you even better on your one to two and your two to three. And by the fourth and fifth time, it will be a second habit. It will be ingrained into your company culture of figuring out, okay, what is this segment? What do they need? What do they want? What are their values? What are they looking for? And then what is the right value proposition? What is the right UX? What is the right funnel? Et cetera, et cetera. You do it once, it's super hard. You do it two times, challenging. Third time, you, 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 you move faster than anyone else. I'm interested if you can think of uh, maybe what's the most surprising. I spoke about people getting overly attached to uh, variations when it comes to testing. Do you have something that really shocked you? Something that shouldn't have worked, that worked better than everything else? Something that was absolutely terrible and, and uh, you know, for every reason you can think of should have worked? Um, let me see. Something absolutely terrible that should not have worked, but but worked. Um, or the reverse, something beautiful that should have worked and failed miserably. What 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 I've discovered that I uh, um, I've worked with a few subscription uh, models, uh, you know, as a business model uh, with a few apps uh, in the past, and what I see more and more. So I will take the, the positive side of that question, if that's okay. Of course. Um, what I see more and more working, and I think that again, it's an art in itself, is is how you do define your subscription model for for your platform, um, and um, now after do playing around and defining that for a few times, it's not so much about, again, about doing the best market research and then building some beautiful design and, and UX. But again, it's a lot about A-B testing and figuring out how much do I give the user for free? And then where do I cut it and put the paywall, right? And this process of figuring out the, the, the balance between your free platform and then where can you start and where can you start driving users into into, into what the, the core of your business is an art in itself. And um, um, I can, again, I can only recommend, and, and sometimes even, even with companies that feel like they're slow or that they're not ready for this you know, complex A-B testing, start with removing a feature. Start with removing a feature that you always thought should be for free. Just try to move it to, uh, to, to locked or, or beyond a, pay, a, pay, a paywall and see what happens. These kind of A-B tests do not require really a lot of engineering because you're not building anything new. You're just putting the paywall and start playing around with these, with these type of things. And the results there could be extremely, extremely interesting. All of a sudden, 30% decrease because this feature was key to being in, in your free a freemium model. And on the other hand, you can all of a sudden see that, that just by enhancing two or three things and putting them behind a paywall, all of a sudden you manage to drive much more users to, to purchase whatever it is you wanted to purchase. I love that idea. Just uh, taking it feature by feature and seeing which one's critical for, for you to get hooked versus which one's so critical once you're hooked that you can't exist without paying for it. That's a, I think that's an, an awesome way to kind of uh, go about, especially if you don't have huge departments dedicated to, you know, market research and user research. It's a, yeah. It's a yeah. One. I will remember that next time I design a product. <laughs> and let's be and let's be honest. I mean, even even the UX, I've seen 
plenty of times features that were perfect on the, during the research uh, part were validated. Users found you know great feedback from users, and we release it and zero to no, or even worse, negative impact on KPIs. So that 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 happens as well. I'm not going to name any features, but they happen in every company I worked in before. These kind of features, uh, and and th that's maybe a word a word of recommendation not to the growth marketing folks out there or product managers, but to the UX and designers and and researchers out there. Um, um, at the end, everything needs to be oriented towards the business, and even if something is validated and great and great feedback, but does not bring the value, yeah. That's it. I think uh, I think it also kind of solves the issue of cross department. Uh, you know, when UX is arguing with brand, who's arguing with growth, who's arguing with whatever. At the end of the day, let your users speak, let the market speak, because it it doesn't matter. The rest of it just doesn't matter. You know, we're all we're all aiming for one thing. Um, I guess uh, you know, kind of one more question that I that I would have is in terms of. Um, you know, when you're, when you're playing around with different features, when you're trying to understand what, what hits a user, how do you make sure that you don't damage a loyal user base? You know, if you're, if you're starting to experiment with whether it's removing different things or, or I think every app features, you know, I, I remember as a face early Facebook user, every update was like, you've ruined my life for, you know, a week and then you get used to it, whatever. But how do you play that balance? How do you make sure that you don't create in, in the hopes of optimizing for the next people to come that you don't damage that core group who are keeping you, uh, you know, where you are today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all knew, for instance, Facebook uh, finally finished releasing their new feed this year. Uh, sorry, 2020. Yeah, they were working on it for three years, building a new feed where every time another percent will go get the new feed and a really, really, really long, long process of, of validating it, bringing value, and then obviously monitoring KPIs for exactly the same reason that you just mentioned, which is exactly on point. Um, uh, yes, it's very, very true. And you have to be very, very cautious, especially if you start paying with paywalls, with prices, with different models, with your existing uh, um, uh, user base. And this is why probably uh, first testing should go on new users um, rather than on existing, unless, again, you think you can bring additional value to existing uh, users. Um, and yeah, track, 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 monitor, monitor, monitor. Uh, and and make sure you're not you're not harming your existing user base. And with time, if you do those slow releases, with time, um, all their cohort will either die, or if you're let's say you're a very long-term engagement uh, platform, uh, and you don't want them to die, um, you know, uh, with time, new users will come in. Will get they only new, know the new experience, and at some point, you can probably shut down the old the old experience. Um, these are more complex from a product perspective, also from a growth perspective. They require much more um, maneuvering around and keeping keeping in mind two different states for users, but um, they they are smoother and and would allow you to have less, less backlash from your existing community. Yeah, definitely makes sense. It's just in terms of that community. So you you mentioned something that I think I found a lot of the time too, which is. On the one hand, you need to hear your users because they're telling you what's working and they're telling you what they what they need to see and they're giving you this incredible feedback that you can't get from anywhere else. On the other side, users are not great at self-reporting. You know, they don't always know how to identify what uh, what they actually need and what they actually want. So, how much do you take their you know that community that feedback? How how do you balance the sides of wanting to give the user everything they're asking for, but also saying, look. 
I, I can't validate this. I know you're asking for it, but I don't think you really need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, I, okay, so I guess, first of all, always good to talk to your users and understand them and take everything with a pinch of salt. Yeah, that's, that's the first recommendation. It's never bad to talk to your users. You should do it as much as you can, um, no matter what your position is and which field you are in the company. And that's the first thing. The second thing, users, yeah, they don't always know what they want. And when we do research, again, whoever you are, you go, you go there to find user problems and gaps in the market. That's what, that's what you're, you're looking for. You're not asking your users to solve and suggest a feature for you, right? That's the famous uh, approach to, to discovery processes, for instance. So you're there to identify problems. And then at some point, there is an element of magic and creativity, and that's why probably we're all, uh, to some extent, in this industry. It's not all just data and analysis and then clear-cut black and white. There is a, 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 an aspect that we need to be able to come and say, okay, th this is the gap, this is the user problem we identified. Now let's, let's use our brain capacity and come up with, with a new feature, something that is not there, something that we can build to solve it. And probably no one will be able to, tell, uh, to, to say it to you, to tell you exactly what, what to build. But this is where you know great product teams, great marketing teams are able to 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 come up with new ideas um, uh, and and build those things, and that's your role, I guess, to, to build something new. It won't just come from analyzing A/B test results and building funnels. It's good to understand the state, the structure that is in place, but you need to be creative. You need to give yourself also the time to try to solve these things in a new way. How you know our, our jobs are safe from uh, the robots whenever they're they're ready to work. We still need some brain power. Right? <laughs> you can't just be analysis. Are you ready for the quick fire round? All right, let's do it. All right, if you could give just one tip to somebody who's entering uh, the world of mobile growth, what would it be? Yeah, I guess I think it's clear by now. Test as much as you can as you can. Do do as many testing as you can. Go for crazy ideas if they're cheap, especially. Do as much as you can on your own with resources that are given to you. Test, 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 test. That's how you'll get learning at the end. Your favorite mobile growth resource? Andy's going to love that, the mobile growth stack. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, kudos to Andy and the feature team from here. Uh, 100%. But yes. Uh, <laughs> Who is assuming, uh, you know, we're we're getting hopefully to the end of COVID and you get to go back out in the real world. Who's the person in the industry that you'd most want to take for lunch and why? Oh my God, <laughs> I, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a great answer. I don't want to take anyone in the industry for lunch. I, you know, if I go to lunch, I want to have I want to have fun. Um, I would take uh, one of my favorite artists or DJs to lunch. That I would much rather do that. Um, <laughs> you need to keep the creative part alive. We just talked about it. More, exactly, more than the data exactly. side, you got to keep the creative part. Okay, most <laughs> important question is what is your favorite kind of pancake? My favorite type of pancake? Uh, maple syrup. Classic. Classic. Very classic. I'm married to a Canadian, so it's uh, it's the right answer in that sense. Yeah, we've, we've, can I can I add a chunk of butter on top? Is that allowed? You absolutely can. That's the. I don't know if you've ever seen those um, like the the pancake mix boxes in America that you buy those mix uh, 
you just mix it and like throw it in a pan and it turns out a pancake. That's the picture, the big stack of butter and the dripping uh, maple syrup on the side. (laughs) That's what I want right now. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. I wish uh, I'd I'd airmail it if I could. Um, No, where, (laughs) where can people find you if they want to learn more, engage, send you pancakes, any, any of that? Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I guess that's the easiest. No, I'm Auerbach. Our A-U-E-R, Bach, like the composer, B-A-C-H. Um, connect with me. I respond to everybody on LinkedIn, even even to, to bots and uh, recruiters. I respond <laughs> to everybody. So feel free. Amazing, Noam. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Esther. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about Stormaven and how we can improve app store performance, visit stormaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Stormaven, thanks for listening.